Well, about five or six years ago, we got a new dining table, and this was very exciting because it was the first new table set that we had bought, like maybe ever. Before that, everything was used on Craigslist, so this was a big deal. I mean, everything matched. There was a bench. There even was a leaf hidden inside the table that would fold out like a transformer. It was amazing. But it wasn't long before we discovered a problem. The finish gets ruined in like two seconds. See, someone left a glass of ice water sitting on the table overnight, and so the next day, inevitably, there was the water ring on the table. This is why we can't have nice things. But then we remembered, hey, we bought a warranty on this thing. So we submitted our claim, and they send a guy out to fix it, and the guy says to me, I can't repair this because the finish is a veneer. It's like a a photograph that they take to make it look a certain way, make the wood look, you know, shabby chic or whatever. And then they lay it over the wood. And the guy actually says to me, think of it like an oil painting. You wouldn't put a glass of water on an oil painting. And I'm like, yeah, but I wouldn't play Bunko on an oil painting either, which is why I bought a table. So he says, I can't fix it. You have to get a whole new table. So we used our warranty. The company replaced it. Okay, new table, take two. Got a water ring in like two days. So we tried to accommodate and just be more careful. We would always use placemats. If we had a glass of water, we'd use a coaster, which is is just weird. I mean, on a table that's made for dishes, not to be able to put a glass on it. The worst scar that it got was one Halloween. We have this decoration that we usually put on the table, which is a a ceramic haunted house. And underneath it, we put this black felt mat that has cut out spider shapes all over it. Well, someone, I won't say who, spilled water. And to someone's credit, they wiped it up immediately, but what they didn't realize was that the felt mat just absorbed a bunch of water and it just sat there on the table, soaking wet all day. And this left a giant watermark in the shape of a bunch of spiders, which is not really the look I'm going for. So we bit the bullet and got a whole different table that doesn't have this fake, temporary, easily messed up finish that does not hold up. And it sounds dumb, but I have this weird confidence, almost like a piece about this table, that it's gonna last. See, the quality of the finish matters. In furniture, yes, but in the significant things of life. I mean, how well something finishes matters. How thoroughly an act is completed, how how genuine the work is, it makes all the difference. There are a lot of fake finishes in our world, and we've gotten used to them. But there is one very important finish that's not temporary, but we might be treating it like it is. And I think as we talk today, you might see some ways where you're accommodating, like I did with my table, where you're making adjustments because you're not really convinced that this finish holds up. Getting real specific, we're gonna look at three words Jesus said from the cross, the words, it is finished. And we're going to dig deep into what they meant and what that might reveal about how we view what he did for us on the cross. 
We're going to ask ourselves if we're treating Jesus' finish like one that doesn't hold up. And most of us would say, no, I'm not doing that. I, I believe what Jesus did was enough. It was, it was permanent. It was genuine. But you know how you can believe something is true but still not really live like it's true? I wonder if many, if not most of us, we'd say that we fully receive what Jesus did for us, and yet our actions tell a different story. And we find ourselves making accommodations in our beliefs or our behavior that would, that would only be necessary for someone who thinks it's too good to be true, that Jesus really paid everything for me. Accommodations come into play when we aren't fully convinced that Jesus really paid it all. And while the accommodations might feel subtle and they might even fly under the radar, the truth is when we live with those subtle shifts, we diminish the finish that Jesus did for us. So with that, holding it in our minds, let's take ourselves back to the scene, to that Good Friday where Jesus has been betrayed, arrested, mocked, and tortured because that's where it was finished. I want you to watch this portrayal of the last few hours before Jesus died. You'll hear some talking and even some shouting in Aramaic, which was the language that Jesus spoke. It's not very long, but, but it takes you in a very vivid way to the crucifixion. I want you to sit with this piece for the next few minutes. I know that was some intense imagery and probably hard to watch in some places without cringing. But if we are going to understand what Jesus meant when he said, it is finished, we've got to come to terms with what it cost him to do so. Because everything that he went through culminated in this moment. And without it, the resurrection could not hold the power that it does. So we've got to stay in this place a little longer even though it's uncomfortable and messy, and it's way easier just to fast forward to Easter. But trust me when I say, the celebration of the resurrection is even sweeter when we stay here and, and unfold these layers of what Jesus meant by, it is finished. I wanna show you three meanings to that phrase as Jesus used it that might reveal some ways that we've been diminishing his finish. The Greek word, Teleo, it means to finish, teleo. And the longer word, tetelestai, is the whole phrase, it is finished, tetelestai. And that phrase has three specific contexts that allow for three different nuances to the word teleo, to finish. The first use of this word for finished is when referring to something being complete, complete. Uh, this use of the word would have been uh, used commonly by a worker. Say, like, the work at the end of the day is done. It's saying, I'm finished with what I had to do. Now, for a lot of us, our work seems to never be done. It's not like at the end of the day, we're like, everything checked off. I fully finished all the things I was supposed to do today. So maybe it's better to think of it like a project being done or, or a time period being over. As of today, I am 75 days away from my oldest daughter's graduation from high school. I'm not going to get into that because I am not emotionally ready yet. But graduation is an example of a clear demarcation of something being complete. 
Chris and I both graduated from seminary on the same day, and I remember this very strong sense of, I'm done with school. And practically, it meant that I could watch TV without feeling guilty that I should be reading a textbook. Think of a time in your life where you completed something. Maybe it was graduation, maybe completing a test or a certification of some sort, or, or moving, like the last time you closed the door on your old place, or even just completing a project at work. There's a clear line of when it is done, like D-O-N-E, done. That's the feeling of the word in this phrase, it is finished, of teleo. So when Jesus says it is finished, it means that what he came to do is done. It's completed. He didn't leave anything undone. He did the work. And what that means for us is that there is nothing extra we need to do. We don't have to be good enough. God's not evaluating our performance to determine if we're in or we're out. And it's important that we really allow that truth to sink in because many of us find ourselves striving to prove ourselves, to live a good life because we want to earn some sort of spiritual position, to work hard to choose good over bad because deep down we think it might make a difference in how God feels about us. Hebrews 12 echoes this truth that Jesus finished the work for us. And, and what I want you to notice is that the writer puts it in the context of running a race. And, and I think that's significant because if you've ever run a race, the whole point is to win, to be the fastest, to finish first and outperform all the other runners. But Hebrews puts it in a different light. Hebrews 12, starting partway through verse 1, it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, at first, the verse sounds like it's putting the responsibility on us to win the race, but if you look close, you'll see something really important in the way Jesus is described. He is the finisher. He already ran and won the race for you. His work counts for you. So while we are still to run and, and run with endurance, like the verse says, it's not the same as striving to win a race that you can never win. For us to apply Christ's work on the cross means that we have to do away with striving. And that is the first of the three ways that we might be accommodating. Striving diminishes the finish. If we're focused on being good enough, how could we ever get to a place of accepting that not only will we never be good enough, but that God's not looking for that? When you are striving for all the wrong reasons, it puts the focus on you instead of on what was done for you. There's so many places in our lives where we get graded or scored or evaluated. It's been part of our lives since our very first ripcord card, but God's not keeping score. There's not a running cosmic tally of whether or not your good outweighs your bad. There's not a running cosmic tally of whether or not your good outweighs your bad. In fact, in Isaiah, the Bible tells us that even our good is like filthy rags. God doesn't have to keep score on you because Jesus' scorecard counts for you. When we're distracted by trying to prove our own worth, it diminishes our ability to receive what Jesus did for us. When our focus is being good because we're kind of trying to impress God or 
I don't know, get extra credit or something. We're preventing ourselves from recognizing the enoughness of the finished work of Jesus. So let me ask you, have you been striving? What does that striving look like for you? Does your hard work toward holiness come from a place of feeling like you have to prove yourself? The places where we strive are the very places that we have not fully received the finished work of Jesus. But if you can identify those places of striving, then you can bring them to the cross and let them go. Well, there's a second intention behind this phrase, it is finished, and it is the idea of something being accomplished. This meaning for the word was used by the Jewish priest on what was called the Day of Atonement, and it was a yearly holiday where the high priest would make a sacrifice for all the sins of all the people of Israel. All the wrongdoing of the nation was symbolically put on this animal, and the animal was put to death as, as punishment for those sins, and the people would get a fresh start. Their sins would be removed, and the priest would enter the temple, make the sacrifice, and then come back out to where all the people were waiting, and he would declare in Hebrew this phrase, it is finished. But the Bible, especially the New Testament, makes it very clear that it wasn't really finished, that this animal sacrifice was just temporary, a precursor to the real and final sacrifice, which we know was Jesus. Looking in the book of Hebrews again, the writer calls back to this holiday, and, and he frames it, though, in the light of Jesus. Hebrews 9, verses 11, 25, and 26 say this, But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Do you see the parallels in that passage to the Day of Atonement? You have the high priest, then was the high priest of Israel, now it is Jesus, our high priest, the last high priest. You've got reference to the temple or the tabernacle, that parallel there. We talk about it coming from his own blood instead of an animal. And then the best part is it says once for all, not again and again every year. Jesus' death was the final sacrifice. It finished the need for this temporary cleansing of sin. This second meaning of teleo, to accomplish, it means that Jesus accomplished something that we were powerless to do. But what exactly was being accomplished? Well, it's helpful to go back to that word atonement. Remember, the annual holiday was called the Day of Atonement. In the early 1500s, when the Bible was first translated into English, the, the translators had trouble finding an English word that encompassed what this sacrifice was all about. Uh, in Jewish tradition, the Hebrew word that was ultimately translated atonement, it meant to cover over. The blood of the animal covered over the sins of the people. But there was no English word for this. So they came up with one. And atonement is simply at one meant, at one meant, the state of being at one. And that's what the cross accomplished. 
our perfect reconciliation with God. Where before the consequence of sin, death, prevented us from living in community with God, now the consequence was put on Jesus, who ultimately overcame that consequence through the resurrection. His finished work accomplished our at-one-ment with God. And so that means if you've accepted Christ, then the state of your being is union with God. And that's our reality. But we don't always live like it's true. A few weeks ago, I was running out the door, and I had to do that checklist that you do before you go out the door. Do I have my sunglasses, my phone, my mask, my keys? Ah, where are my keys? So I spent the next few minutes looking in all the places, the drawers, the countertops, the pockets, all the places where I could possibly find my keys. No luck. But then I had an idea. Maybe they're somewhere hiding deep in a pocket, in my coat, or like in the bottom of my bag. And we have one of those cars that you don't have to put the key in to start it. So I thought I could just get in the car and press the button and see what happens. Sure enough, I get in the car, press the button, and what do you know? It started. I drove to work literally not knowing where my keys were, but knowing that I had them. Of course, once I got to church, I couldn't unlock any of the doors because I couldn't find my keys. But my point is, they were there all along. I had everything I needed even when I couldn't find them. Through Christ, everything you need has been accomplished for you. You have it, whether it looks like you do or not. But how often do we live as if we don't already have full and complete reconciliation with God? So, so what do we do? We accommodate. And it comes in the form of compartmentalizing. And when we do that, we diminish Jesus' finished work. Here's what compartmentalizing looks like. We have places in our lives that feel in sync with God. Maybe our church life, maybe our relationship with our spouse, uh, the generosity that we feel toward others. But inevitably, there are places in our lives where we feel like God's over here and this action or situation or belief or mindset is over here. And there's no at-one-ment. They feel mutually exclusive. And since we can't seem to get those two things in harmony, we compartmentalize. God doesn't care about this thing over here. This isn't impacting me. This has nothing to do with my relationship with God. But if Jesus accomplished complete at-one-ment, that means that every part of your life is spiritual. I'll say it again. Every part of your life is spiritual. How you spend your time is spiritual. What you think about affects you spiritually. What comes out of your mouth? What goes into your mouth? Your fears, your doubts, your compulsions, your habits. Life with God means that God is interwoven into every area of our life. It means that he can speak to us through it, that he can bring healing or change. He can show us his love through something as unspiritual as a giant plate of nachos. Are there segments of your life that are, well, segmented? Is this an accommodation that you've made because at the heart of it, you're not valuing the power of Jesus' sacrifice as something that can align your entire life with God? 
if you can name these places, then, then have a conversation with God about how to live into the it is finishedness in these areas. Okay, last, not least, a third meaning of teleo, to finish, is to pay a debt. And this was actually the most common use of this word. Uh, something was owed and the debt was paid. Think about it like uh, when you get an invoice and you get a paid stamp on it to prove that you've paid. It is the finality of what you owed being taken down to zero. Hebrews 10 says this, but after he stepped up to offer his single sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down in the position of honor at the right hand of God. When there is forgiveness such as this, there is no longer any need to make an offering for sin. No longer any need. Our debt was the death that we should experience, and he paid it for us. The third way that we diminish Jesus' finish is by punishing ourselves. Punishing diminishes the finish. Some of us believe in forgiveness and have accepted that we're forgiven, but we're still in this habit of punishing ourselves. You might be someone who blew up your marriage and you know God has forgiven you, but you still punish yourself. Maybe you've hurt your family through addiction or, or being a workaholic or, or misusing your finances, whatever, and, and you've made it right and you've been forgiven, but you can't let go of those those feelings of shame or guilt, that's punishing yourself. Wherever you have failed might be a place you're still beating yourself up instead of living in the freedom and, and the new life of your debt being paid in full. My first full-time job was at a college. I was the executive assistant to the vice president of finance, and he decided that he wanted to have this big dinner as a thank you for all of his direct reports, and as his assistant, I had to organize it. And knowing that I'd get reimbursed, I just decided to pay the bill on my personal credit card. So I get the bill, and it was huge. I mean, this was a fancy dinner and drinks for like 12 people. And my 26-year-old eyes were like, like, like the tip alone was bigger than my paycheck. And my boss paid my credit card bill with his budget. But here's the thing. That card was a mileage card. So Chris and I got thousands of free miles to use. It's a great analogy for the finish that means that a debt is paid. It was my bill, but someone else paid it. And not only that, but I got to enjoy the benefits of that payment. Jesus didn't say it is finished. So you would keep punishing yourself for the very things that took him to the cross. In fact, he paid the bill and invites you to live in the joy and the wholeness of a forgiven life. And can we just sit here for a minute in the bottomless grace of God? Our sin debt that Jesus paid was ours alone. Unlike my credit card bill that the college owed me money for, Jesus did not owe us a single thing. He had no debt, and he still took mine on and took yours on. And he not only took it, but he finished it. Today is Palm Sunday. That was the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem with the intention of finishing our problem with sin. 
You might be someone who's been a churchgoer for a long time, been following Jesus for a while now, but is still trying to add to what he did for you because you know the finish matters. But if you spend your time trying to add to what's already been done for you, you're going to miss what God wants to build on top of that finish. As you consider that this week, ask God to reveal the ways that you have been diminishing his sacrifice. Are you striving when the work has already been done? Are you compartmentalizing because you believe that your reconciliation to God has limits? Are you punishing yourself because it feels better than simply receiving his gift? We're going to close with a worship song that declares the goodness of God, the king who will never let us down. As you sing, think about your response to what has already been finished for you.